I started reading Oliver today. Just today? Yeah, just today. I um, yeah, I should have I should have started a while ago, but I have an <laughs> audiobook and like I also have a book with me so I can take notes. Um, and the audiobook is like fifteen hours, which is it's a very chunky book. <laughs> chunky. Um, it's also I was talking I was talking to Julian about this about today. He was like, yeah, it's way too long. Like it's like it's way too wordy for how for how much substance there is. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, but like I'm, I'm making good headway with it and like actually like retaining information from an 1800th <laughs> book. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I think I'd started a couple of days ago and I was just like, okay, instead of going on my phone, I'm going to read before bed. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I got like, well, I'm about 50 pages in because I've been mm-hmm. swamped with schoolwork. Yeah, for but, sure. But uh, yeah, we were yeah, like, the biggest book for the first one. <laughs> yeah, right yeah. now I'm just kind of <laughs> like, like, oh the, my god, not like the graphic novel or like the other two or the other children's book. <laughs> yeah. So, but then it just reminds me that I haven't read any other Charles Dickens books except for A Christmas Carol. I was thinking about today. Um, I was like, oh, I was because I got to the part where we meet um, Fagin, and. Um, they just refer to him as like only like the Jew basically like they only call him Fagin like every once in a while but they call him the Jew mostly and yeah. I'm like oh well of course an evolutionary evolutionary scientist not not of course but like of course like the evolutionary scientist has like the like like identifies him as the Jew but I'm like wait Charles Dickens is not Charles Darwin I always get them mixed up in my head and I always think they're the same oh. person <laughs> it's like where are you going Max <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no. <laughs> yeah, it's it's strange. I haven't read anything about Oliver Twist. I don't think... I feel like there was some sort of version of Oliver Twist that had Tom Hardy in it, but I can't remember. Mm. Huh. Yeah, but I'll, I'll read as much as I can under the circumstances, but... Yeah, for like, sure. <laughs> I want to complete it, but I don't yeah. know if that's going to be possible. No, for sure. Yeah. That's why Julian's here. Julian's the He can fill in the gaps. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You just have to know your history. I just have to know the musical. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god. Industrial London. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 19 of History of the Spotlight. We're legal in Canada. (laughs) Yay. Oh. (laughs) It's like, what have you told me? Like, have we been doing this illegally this whole time? (laughs) No. Um yeah so this episode is on a play a play with music um lady day at emerson's bar and grill mm-hmm. very good with some probably hd um yeah so the play the play takes place in south philadelphia march 1959 billy holiday is performing at a rundown bar during one of her last performances before her death in july 1959 she sings accompanied by jimmy powers on the piano and also tells the stories about her life as she becomes increasingly intoxicated and incoherent yeah, so this is about the. Oh, I should have looked this up earlier. Um, this is about the play by Lainey Robertson uh, from the 1980s, I believe. Yeah, 1986. Oh, April 16th. Oh, wow. How timely. <laughs> um, yeah, Annika, do you want to get into the history of um, Billie Holiday? Sure. Let's see. So in my research of Billie Holiday, I got very heated because just reading about her life and just all the crap that she had to go through, especially at the very end of her life, Mm -hmm. um, just make me very angry. And I feel like it kind of reflects some of the stuff that's happening today, Mm -hmm. Um, which meant that I got quite emotional. Yeah. It's just been a very emotional day for me. Yeah. (laughs) Um. So Billie Holiday, um, she was born April 7th, 1915, and she died uh, July 17th, my birthday, 1959, at the age of 44. Her birth name was Eleonora Fagan. Uh, she was an, uh, an American jazz and swing music singer. Her, like, her nickname, Lady Day, was given to her by her friend Lester Young, just as she says in Emerson's Bar and Grill. Uh, and later in life, she was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame, as well as the National Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame. So Billie Holiday's childhood, I think, 
from here on, I refer to her as Eleonora mm -hmm. until she gets her uh, her stage pseudonym. Mm -hmm. uh, so childhood, she was born in Philadelphia in Pennsylvania, United States of America. Uh, she was born to unwed teenage parents, uh, her father, Clarence Holiday, and her mother, Sarah Julia, uh, also known as Sadie Fagan. Uh, she grew up in Baltimore, but had a very difficult childhood. She was raised mainly by her mother's half-sister's mother-in-law, as her mother was usually gone working. Uh, she dropped out of school at the age of 11 and had a history of skipping school beforehand. Um, at the age of 12, she had a job running errands in a brothel, and she scrubbed marble steps, the kitchen and bathroom floors at neighboring houses. Uh, in early 1929, Eleonora moved in with her mother in Harlem, where her mother was a sex worker, and Eleonora was quickly subjected to sex trafficking at the age of 13. Uh, the brothel, brothel where she was wor working um, was raided, and Eleanor and her mother were sent to prison and were released later that same year. So in regards to her early career, um, as a young teenager, Eleanor began singing at nightclubs in Harlem. Her stage name was inspired by actress Billy Dove, who she greatly admired. And then she also adopted her father's last name, Halliday, later adjusting it to Holiday um, instead. So now she was Billy Holiday, and now when I uh, refer to as Billy. Uh, she had teamed up with tenor saxophone player Kenneth Holland from 1929 to 1931, performing in clubs like the Grey Dawn and the Brooklyn Elks Club. She reconnected with her father when she, he was playing with the Fletcher Henderson's band. I think they also mentioned that in the play. Um, her popularity began to grow, and by the time she was 17, Billy was heard singing at Coven's, which was a club on the West 132nd Street, by producer John Hammond in 1933. So he arranged for Billy to make her recording debut and to re record her first songs in November 1933 with Benny Goodman. The two songs she recorded uh, were Your Mother's Son-in-Law and Riffin' the Scotch. So Hammond said this about Billy. Her singing almost changed my music tastes and my musical life because she was the first girl singer I'd come across who actually sang like an improvising jazz genius. So Hammond also uh, compared her favorably to Louis Armstrong and uh, she also mentions Louis a couple of times in the Emerson's Bar and Grill and also kind of does a little impression of his <laughs> very distinctive voice. Yeah. Um, she had a small role in Duke Ellington's short film Symphony in Black where she sang the song Saddest Tale in the scene. Uh, in 1935, Billy signed with Brunswick to record some pop tunes with pianist uh, Billy, er, sorry, Teddy Wilson. Uh, they were allowed to improvise a bit with the music, which some other re records or record labels don't really want you to do. Mm. Um, their first collaboration was What a Little Moonlight Can Do and Miss Brown to You. Uh, at least I believe so. That's kind of a strange title. Mm -hmm. uh, her claim to fame was the song What a Little Moonlight Can Do. And so Brunswick was apparently broke, but the song I Cried For You was a great hit for them, selling about 15,000 copies. Uh, another accompanist was tenor saxophonist Lester Young. Uh, he had been a boarder at her mother's house in 1934, and so they had a bit of a rapport. He called her Lady Day, and she called him Prez. Mm -hmm. uh, she then went on to work with Count Basie, mm -hmm. though the touring conditions were very poor. Uh, she sang the songs, I Must Have That Man, Traveling All Alone, I Can't Get Started, and Summertime with them. Uh, she was kind of put in competition with Ella Fitzgerald at the time, but they later actually became really great friends. Mm -hmm. Um by early 1938, Billy wasn't working with Basie anymore. There wasn't really any reason given for why she was fired, but uh, it was said that she was temperamental and unreliable. So a while later, she was hired by Artie Shaw, um, and she was one of the first Black women to work with a white orchestra, which was apparently an unusual arrangement at that time. 
And she was also, or it was also the first time a black female singer was employed full-time touring with a white band in the segregated US South. She was discriminated against really like a lot of times during this tour and was not even permitted to sit on the bandstand with the other vocalists because she was black. Uh, Shaw was known to stick up for his vocalist, um, but she left the band soon after, or soon after perhaps the last straw of being forced to use a service elevator at the Lincoln Hotel because the white patrons of the hotel complained of her using the passenger elevator. By the end of 1930s, Billie had established herself as an artist in the recording industry. Her songs became more popular and the songs What a Little Moonlight Can Do and Easy Living uh, quickly became jazz standards. In 1939, Billie was introduced to the song Strange Fruit, which was a song based on a poem about lynching. It had been written by Abel Mirapol, who was a Jewish school teacher from the Bronx but it was published under his pseudonym, Lewis Allen. It was meant as a protest against the lynching of black people and was inspired by the photograph of the 1930 lynching of Thomas Shipp and Abram Smith in Marion, Indiana. Mm. It was introduced to Billy by Barney Josephson, uh, who is the proprietor of the integrated nightclub Cafe Society in Greenwich Village. Like, mm. it, look, it yeah, looks like it, Greenwich. Yeah, I know that's Greenwich. <laughs> Okay, I was like, I was just reminding myself of like Greenwich Village. Yeah. Um, she performed it at the club, even though she was afraid to, as she had feared retaliatory action against her. She later described how the imagery reminded her of her father's death, as he had been denied medical treatment for his lung disorder due to racial prejudice. She had written in her her autobiography, uh, quote unquote. It reminds me of how Pop died, but I have to keep singing it, not only because people ask for it, but because 20 years after Pop died, the things that killed him are still happening in the South. Um, mm -hmm. Because of the power of the song, Josephson drew up some rules uh, for when she would perform it. So Holiday would close her act with it. Uh, the waiters would have to stop all service in advance. The room would be in darkness except for a spotlight on Holiday's face, and there would be no encore after it. Wow. Yeah. That's really like that's really cool that they did that. Yeah, it seems like he understood the the gravity of the song. Mm -hmm. uh, and wanted to have it leave a lasting impression. Mm -hmm. Um, so Billy had approached the Columbia record label to see if they would be willing to have her record the song but they refused to, citing fears of the reaction of their retailers in the South, as well as the anticipation of poor reception from the CBS radio network. Mm -hmm. John Hammond also refused to record it. So Billy turned to her friend who owned the Commodore record label, Milt Gabler. Uh, she sang it a cappella for him and moved him to tears. It was recorded on the 20th of April, 1939, and the recording eventually sold a million copies, becoming Billy's biggest selling recording, but it wasn't even played on the radio. Mm -hmm. uh, Billy's popularity increased further after the release of Strange Fruit. Uh, she later wrote the song God Bless the Child for her mother Sadie after an argument between the two of them about the money Billy had been giving Sadie to support her restaurant, which was called Mom's Holiday. Uh, the record sold over a million copies and reached number 25 on the charts in 1941. Uh, continued, or she continued to record songs throughout the early 1940s, and one of her songs, You Better Go Now, recorded in August 1945, is cited as Ella Fitzgerald's favorite recording of Billy's. In late 1946, Billy was in the film New Orleans, opposite Louis Armstrong and Woody Herman. The film ran into many setbacks due to scriptwriter Herbert Biberman being sent to jail as part of the Hollywood Ten, which was a blacklisted group or a blacklisted group for being communists. I think uh, I don't know if that's the same group as something Trumbo Walter. Sorry, oh the Hollywood Ten. I can't remember his name. The, uh, the Hollywood 10. Yeah, I can't remember his first name, though. 
Uh, yeah, Dalton, Dalton Turbo. Dalton, there we go. Yeah. Walter Dalton. Um, <laughs> the very classy name. Yeah, and the film also faced issues due to Billy's drug use. Her lover, Guy, or er, Joe Guy, supplied her with heroin, and he was... What? Sorry, I just left the name Joe Guy. <laughs> Joe Guy. Yeah. Uh, supplied her with heroin, and he was eventually banned from the set when Billy's manager, Joe Glasser, found him there. Uh, May 16th, 1947, Billy was arrested for possession of narcotics in her New York apartment. At the court, it was called the United States of America versus Billy Holiday. She pleaded guilty and was sentenced to Alderson Federal Prison Camp in West Virginia. She lost her New York City cabaret card, which then prevented her from performing anywhere that sold alcohol. So from then on, she could only perform at concert venues and theaters. She was released a little less than a year later for good behavior and continued performing. A little over a week after her release from prison, she played Carnegie Hall to a sold out crowd. Someone had sent her a box of gardenias and she took them out of the box and put them in her, in her hair without thought of the fact that there was a hat pin in them and stuck, <laughs> stuck them into the side of her head. And she said that she quote unquote, didn't feel anything until the blood started gushing down in her eyes and ears. And after the third curtain call, she passed out. Yeah. Uh, so I think, yeah, she mentions that in the, in the play. Yeah. Um, by the 1950s, Billy's drinking, drug use, and relationship with abusive men caused her health to deteriorate. Uh, Billy's autobiography called Lady Sings the Blues was ghostwritten by William Dufty and was published in 1956. His wife, Maylie Bartholomew, Bartholomew, was a close friend of Billy's, and Billy was actually the godmother of their son, Bevan Dufty. So her death. By early 1959, Billy had been diagnosed with cirrhosis, which was the impaired liver function, and had initially stopped drinking at her doctor's or on her doctor's orders, but soon relapsed. By May of that same year, she had lost 20 pounds, and those around her had begged her to go to the hospital. She had also had cardiac and respiratory problems due to her chronic smoking. She was eventually taken to Metropolitan Hospital in New York to treat her liver and heart disease. Under the order of the openly racist Harry J. Anslinger, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics had been targeting Billy since at least 1939 when she had been, or when she had started performing Strange Fruit. So if you wanna know more about this particular subject, um, I have some further reading for everyone. It's called The Hunting of Billy Holiday from Politico magazine, and it's mm. written by Johan Hari. So I've written here, Harry J. Anslinger is a nasty racist piece of work, and I'm adding him to my list of people who I've discovered through my research whom I hate. Uh, we'll put him up there with that French Nazi guy who got away with him until yeah. like, his 80s. <laughs> I'm gonna start a catalog. I, I right now I have a catalog that I'm working on of like people we've covered like for like Broadway stars, and now yeah. you have a cover. Yeah, you know, I have a catalog of people you hate from <laughs> other <laughs> history. So yeah. eventually, when we do more monarch stuff, you can have a bunch of circle like this. We talked about this monarch in this episode, and this is why we hate them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is who we think like got unfairly talked about in history or whatever, or portrayed mm -hmm. in history. Yeah, that's some of our like King James the first stuff. Oh, yeah. We don't know the whole story, but at the same time, it can't have been all terrible. He could have been better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so narcotic agents went into her hospital room. They claimed to have found heroin in a tinfoil envelope hanging from a nail about six feet up on the wall in a spot that Billy was incapable of reaching. So it's obviously like they planted it. Mm-hmm. And in this article, they also talk about another agent that had been a part of a bunch of sting operations or something like that. And he was known to like plant drugs on women. Yeah. And uh, God, some of the descriptions of this guy are just disgusting. Yeah. And some of the stuff that he would do. So it just really boiled my blood. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to know about more about that, go check out that Politico magazine article. Yeah. Um. They confiscated all the items of comfort in her hospital room and handcuffed her to the hospital bed. They put two officers at the door and forbid anyone from seeing her. Uh, so this is a quote from the magazine. Uh, her, art, 
her friend Maylee Dufty, who was before known as Maylee Bartholomew, uh, screamed at them that it was against the law to arrest someone who was on the critical list. They explained that the problem had been solved as they had taken her off the critical list. Um, Billy had to go through both cirrhosis of the liver and heroin with withdrawal alone. She was prescribed methadone for 10 days and began looking better and started putting on weight. But then she was suddenly taken off the medication and progressively got worse. Uh, when a friend was finally allowed to see her, Billy told her in a panic that, quote unquote, they're going to kill me before the police threw the friend out of the room. So protesters gathered on the street outside the hospital, led by Harlem pastor, Reverend Eugene Callender. The protesters held signs that said, let lady live. Mm. Uh, Callender was calling for Billy to be treated at a clinic for heroin addicts at his church so that she may be nursed back to health, but Anslinger and the police refused. All the while Billy was in the hospital, the police fingerprinted her, took a mug shot of her in her hospital bed, and interrogated her without letting her speak to a lawyer. She, like, she's clearly dying. Like, yeah. But like this guy had a vendetta against her since 1939. Yeah. Like that's just awful. And like in that article when he's talking about like the war on drugs and all that stuff, like he is just disgusting. Mm. And uh, if he was alive today, I would go and kick him. Kick him. <laughs> that's, the, that's the least of the things I do. <laughs> that's a pretty like weak sentence for him. <laughs> yeah, well, like <laughs> I can't say like very violent things on this thing, but yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is not like, a threat. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a threat or anything, but you like you know. We don't endorse murder, but. um anyways uh so she died at the age of 44 at 3 10 a.m on the 17th of july 1959 her cause of death was said to be a pulmonary edema and heart failure caused by cirrhosis of the liver though some historians have attributed her death to anslinger's interruption of her medical care Uh, she was buried at saint raymond's cemetery in the bronx and uh, Diana Ross played her in a biographical film, mm-hmm. Lady Sings the Blues, in 1972, where it was nominated for five Academy Awards. And Andrew Day played her in The United States versus Billie Holiday in 2021, where Andrew Day won the Best Actress in a Motion Picture Drama. So Andrew Day's own stage name was inspired by Billie Holiday's nickname of Lady Day. Mm. So I've, I've been listening to Andrew Day's music for quite a a number of years now and she's just insanely amazing Mm. Um, i've never i've never heard of them but you should she's really good um and that's all for me nice okay (laughs) breathe (laughs) (sighs) yeah it's just so unfair i know it's just awful yeah yeah like watching the show like really you really see her struggle and like how much she's going through yeah yeah so and she only died at 44 yeah that's crazy how young she was yeah, yeah. it's it's insane yeah yeah so billy holiday's american desiger sorry this is a character descriptions okay. of which there are two <laughs> um if, i mean three if you include the dog but i mean it's a dog um <laughs> uh billy holiday is american jazz singer recounting the events of a bygone era the singer has had a long turbulent, long turbulent life that has not left her unscarred. And then Jimmy Powers is Billy Holiday's accompanist. He has known her for some time and, and understands her struggles with substance abuse and her health issues. I couldn't really find much about Jimmy Powers. I just saw some like articles of reference to this that were talking yeah. about Jimmy Powers was her accompanist. And that was it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the creatives is one. There is a Lainey Robertson is a I guess I could have done artist too, but I just went with the writer. So Lainey Robertson is a playwright, um, American playwright who works for, whose works have been produced in the United States of America, England, Canada, Japan, France, Germany, Ireland, and Poland. Mm-hmm. Uh, plays include the, insan- the Insanity of Mary Gerard, Bat County Crimes, Nasty Little Secrets, and others. Around half of his plays include historical figures, 
including Woodrow Wilson, John Wilkes Booth, Eugene O'Neill, Louis Armstrong, Oscar Wilde, among others. Hmm. Yeah, seems like a, a lot of plays that have historical figures. Woodrow Wilson. Yeah. Uh, I think Perhaps we covered so. him. I get him mixed up with the, the president before FDR. Is Woodrow Wilson the one that did like two separate terms? Like he did like, like there was a president in between, or was that no? That was Grover Cleveland. Did the one, that was the one that was in between. I don't know. It's been a long time since my uh, <laughs> American foreign policy class. Oh yeah. And goodness knows that my American history and film thing didn't teach me anything. <laughs> um, am I good to talk about Andre McDonald? Mm-hmm. Okay. Andre McDonald was born in West Berlin, Germany in 1970 to parents Anna Catherine and Stanley McDonald Jr., who at the time of her, of her, her, her birth was stationed in the United States Army. Um, 1970, so it's probably Vietnam or something else around that time. What do you mean? Because uh, uh, he was stationed at the time of her birth with the United States Army. Yeah. Um, in like post-World War II, they had a couple of uh, allied forces kind of stationed in Western Germany. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Oh, because right. you had West yeah. Germany and then you had East Germany and the Russians basically had control of all of Eastern Germany. Oh, okay. So we probably would have been around there. Yeah, why else would they be there? They're all American. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Vietnam. That's a bit far away way to yeah. go. Um, is that the right time period though? Like, Vietnam started like around the time, right? Uh, or was what it time did you say? uh 1970 uh started like early to early 1960s okay Okay. and then continued into the 70s a bit okay um so a classical a classical soprano she studied under ellen fall at the juilliard school graduated in 1993 her broadway debut was as a replacement in the secret in 1992 her next broadway credit carrie pippert and carousel won her her first tony in 1994 she was 23 at the time in 1995, she started the Terrence McNally play Masterclass, earning her second Tony. After working with McNally on Masterclass, she started the musical that he wrote the book for, Ragtime, earning her third Tony for the role of Sarah, becoming the fourth person to win three Tonys in within five years, after Shirley Booth, Gwen Verdon, and Zero Mostel. Um, Ragtime was so good. We have to do it eventually, but it's like such a model that it's hard to like think about how you, how you would cover it, because it's like three separate stories all in one. Oh, okay. And there's a bunch of like, a bunch of like, auxiliary like, there's like Harry Houdini, like there's like legit real characters in there too. There's like Harry Houdini, um, Booker T. Washington, Evelyn Nesbitt, a bunch of <laughs> different people. I wonder um, if that might need to be a two-parter. I was thinking maybe a three-parter because like there's a three different like factions of people. There's like the, like the, um the New York like upper class whites there's the Ellis Island Jewish people and there's the Harlem black people okay so I think because it's really cool like there's it's like the whole thing of break time is like a new thing like a new syncopation for a whole kind of nation it's like kind of like turn of the century um like it's kind of when a lot of immigration is coming over um like a lot of people are immigrating from, like from Europe to America, like uh, um, early nineteen hundreds. Yeah, around there. Yeah. Yeah, my family um, would be included. Oh yeah. <laughs> or um, one side of it would be. Yeah, but I feel like it's really cool to have like a, because there's so much to cover. Um, not even just with like the time period, but like with the, um, people specifically. Yeah. But yeah, we'll see. Um, Is it like New York? Yeah, New York. Okay. Um, and they say one of my favorite songs is that because they have like a, let's have a trip to Atlantic City, and they just go to Atlantic City for like one song, but it's based off like a book, and there's a movie from it too. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyways, um, other Broadway credits include Marie Christine, One Ten of the Shade, and Shuffle Along, and Shuffle Along is a much longer title that I did not write down, that I did not write down. <laughs> um. After Ragtime, she starred in Raisin of the Sun, 
uh, earning her fourth Tony Award. In 2011, she started as Bess in Porgy and Bess, winning her fifth Tony Award, tying with Angela Lansbury and Julie Harris for most performance Tonys. In 2014, she starred as Billie Holiday in Lady Day Emerson's Barton Grill. This show won her sixth Tony, um, the most by a single performer, as well as becoming the first person to win a Tony in each eligible, eligible performance category. So featured in both play and musical and then leading in both play and musical. So she's she deserves it though. She's so talented. I love her so much. Yeah, I think I first heard of her in, uh, 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 what is that? Like Broadway version of Carpool Karaoke with oh, uh, yeah. James Corden and, and she like, was Lynn there with, and yeah Jesse Tyler Ferguson and Jane Krakowski. Jane Krakowski. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was so good. As the one no. day more, I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was fun. yeah. Uh, TV and film credits include Breaking the Flash, Private Practice, Mr. Sterling, Beauty and the Beast, and the upcoming Respect, which is a Aretha Franklin biopic. Um, she was awarded the National Medal of Arts by President Barack Obama in September 2016. And she has won two, two Grammys, one Emmy out of five nominations, and six Tonys out of nine nominations. And one of those nominations is pending for the 2020 Tony Awards, whatever they're going to happen. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we'll see. Um, and she is married to fellow Broadway actor Will Spunson. Hmm. Yeah. So, so she just needs like an Academy Award. Yeah, she needs the Academy Award. Um, I think she should just give it to her just because. <laughs> <laughs> they need to put her in more uh, musicals then. Yeah, I mean, she. I think she was nominated for an uh, Emmy for this, for the film production. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think she won it, but like she was nominated for it, which I guess it makes sense because it's like a, it wasn't made for a big screen, it was made for a smaller screen. Yeah. But it's still like a TV movie. It was kind of a weird aesthetic. It was. First. It took um, a while to get kind of used to it. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite song? Um, I don't think I wrote it down any because I think it was kind of hard for me to figure out which ones were which. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like "Strange Fruit" is definitely one that really sticks out for you. Yeah, definitely or it sticks out to you because uh, I think that s- song used to kind of freak me out when I was a kid mm-hmm. because she has like just such a very unique voice. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, it's it's a very haunting song. So it used to like, like chill me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never heard any of these songs before. Maybe like in movies and stuff, but I never like specifically sat down and listened to these. Yeah. Um, but like, like the big songs that she like kind of toes around, like "Strange Fruit" and "God Bless a Child" are probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's really like, like she's just so talented and like. It's kind of a weird way to like the way she sings. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's very specific, kind of like um, I think who else like has like, a specific singing voice. But like that's what sets her, that sets her apart from like Ella Fitzgerald and the other singers of this time. Yeah. Is like her specific, like her vibrato and like the way she sings, like from the side of her mouth and like her. Strange fruit. Yeah, like the just her general <laughs> presence is just so like, I mean, I'm sure this is a big testament to Audrey McDonald's performance. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I kind of noticed how she was kind of composing herself because I've seen her as herself and mm. she usually kind of does like the shoulders back, neck up or, yeah. neck, or shoulder, or what do you call it? A chin up. And yeah. <laughs> <that. Neck>. But <laughs> the way that she does it with Billy is that it kind of hunched forward shoulders and drawing the neck a bit down. Mm-hmm. So that's I mean, something that, that also, I really noticed for it also could Yeah, it also could be attributed to like what she's going through at this time because this is like March, like right before, mm-hmm. like, like she goes into, like she had been diagnosed probably at this point. Like they had the doctor backstage yeah um and this is like two months before she goes into the hospital i think they said it was like four months before her death i don't know how long she stayed in the hospital Mm -hmm. though yeah um but yeah yeah, it it was like i didn't know much about billy's life going into this Mm -hmm. and i was really surprised that she had died at the age of 44 but then when you hear about like her like past and her like all the crap that she had to deal with and all this like traumatizing stuff that happened to her and just you can 
like it, it's a real testament to Audrey McDonald because you see it. Yeah, and it totally makes it feels like um, when people go through a lot of trauma when they're younger, like they have to grow up really fast. Yeah, and I feel like she had to grow up really fast because of like she had like parents that were like teenagers, and she had to go on through a lot of trauma when she was like specifically when she was ten and she was assaulted and yeah she like she was black in the nineteen fifty in the nineteen tens when she was growing up so like yeah nothing is much better now but like it's yeah I just obviously both of us are white so we can never experience this. Yeah. But it's just definitely puts a lot of things in perspective about like what it was like then and what it's like now. Yeah, I got like upset kind of watching it, mm-hmm. and I like Snapchatted you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, uh, I don't know like, oh. why. Why I don't know why I feel like crying. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's just it's it's. It's heavy. And then also I wasn't expecting, like, I knew that, um, I guess I was doing my notes while I was watching it. And so I was aware that she was addicted to heroin and stuff. But then when she had gone off stage for a while and then came back Mm. and was obviously kind of under the influence of something. And then you see like, I was like, oh, her, her glove is kind of rolled down. Yeah. And then you see the injection marks. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's shocking. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah. And like she, like, in the beginning, like, it totally has, like, such a downfall from, like, the beginning of the show to the end of the show. She's, like, a completely different person. Like, she's, yeah. like, she's on stage performing. She isn't getting, like, the drug she needs. So, like, she's going through, like, not a relapse, so she's going through a withdrawal, like, throughout Mm -hmm. the show. And then nearly, like, like, I say, like, three quarters of the way through, she has to go off stage and go see the doctor. And, yeah, it's just, yeah. I don't even know if she actually saw the doctor, though. Yeah, it's, yeah. But, uh... Yeah, it's just kind of that strange personality where it's like you can see that she's very funny and kind of puts it on mm. and then just when she kind of has those little snapping moments yeah. where uh, Jimmy doesn't stop playing the tune that she wants him to stop playing and then mm-hmm. puts the the cover on the keys down really abruptly yeah. and that kind of scared me. I, know, I was like, oh my god, his fingers. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, it's just uh, hooey. Yeah, props to the band too. They were really good. Yeah. I can't imagine, like, I guess there isn't too much acting for the other two, like the ba- the bassist and the drummer, but, like, they still have to act like they're, um, like, they have to, like, do their job, like, doing the, providing the, 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 um, the music, but they also have to, like, act like they're part of her band. Yeah. Like, especially with Jimmy. Because he has, like, actual speaking lines and he's, like, talking to her about what's happening. Yeah, he had to deal with some uh, verbal abuse from her. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh... Definitely, yeah. Uh, it was, like, kind of the best of both worlds because it was, like, really funny and there was a lot of, like, really good moments. But it also yeah. was really sad. There was a lot of really sad moments. <laughs> yeah, I think... Yeah. It, it's it's like difficult when you have like some moments that are like kind of funny like especially when she's telling the story about uh letting the deluge go yeah she's in the, in the um, kitchen and on she, that racist yeah. lady's shoes yeah and uh yeah, but then it was... just gets uh contrasted with uh some really serious moments and she's so just so candid with everything that happened in her life yeah. Like when she's just talking about how like she was assaulted, like she just says it out of nowhere and like it's just totally like casual to her. It's not like it's it's just a fact of life to her. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if she would have said that in real life. Yeah. At a show. I don't know. Mm. It um, definitely seems like there's a lot of 
like obviously you're supposed to have like it's supposed to be comfortable to the audience but it also seems like a lot of like sharing like oversharing yeah and, uh, what else did I mention it's also um really good at crowd work I'm not sure if it was an Audra thing or if it was a <laughs> um it's a Billy Holiday thing but she seems so comfortable with the crowd and, like talking to them and like hey how are you like going to the audience and, like leaving her drink and then she was like oh there's my drink <laughs> yeah thank you dear yeah and uh I was just wondering like what happens when she goes into the crowd and no one has cigarettes yeah like do they um, plant someone in the crowd I guess I I would I would think so yeah or they I would literally <laughs> be like hey you sitting here you bought this ticket you're giving on a cigarette <laughs> Yeah, and then you're gonna light the the lighter. Yeah, and, and also so I was like, she's Audra McDonald. She can't smoke. Like she has the most beautiful voice. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, then also I'm, like the I'm, drink I'm, that she pours. Yeah, I'm sure that's water, but I feel like this the cigarette's actual cigarette. Well, yeah, love telling you it was a real cigarette at least. Well, well, you never actually see her like take a big drag of it and then let it out. Yeah, at least I don't think so. But you but you see it kind of going. Or they could at least give her like a non harmful like it's just burning paper <laughs> i mean but she only did the show at like 10 weeks at a time so yeah i guess so um but that's just dangerous though for somebody with that beautiful voice like to actually smoke <laughs> yeah i think yeah. we had like a long conversation about it one time where it was uh talking about adele and how she smokes a lot Oh, yeah. and then my dad was like can you just imagine what her voice would have been like if she didn't smoke mm. she's like, beautiful oh. she has a beautiful voice now <laughs> yeah and oh he's, he's just thinking he's saying it would be so much better <laughs> yeah he's think he says that it might be so much better if she didn't smoke yeah but then again you don't know yeah yeah so the original production was in 1986 at the atlanta uh, alliance theater atlanta georgia april 16th 1986 um the alliance theaters were a lot of up, um not a lot, but like quite a few shows do their off-Broadway tryouts there. So the prom started there, um, Bring It On started there, and Sister Act started there, and The Color Purple, uh, Revival, I think. Um, and then the show was produced off-Broadway at the Vineyard Theater in 1986, June 5th. Uh, and then it went to the West Side Theater in September 7, 1986. Uh, the show closed May 17, 1987, after 281 performances. Um, and Lonette McKee started as a Holiday. Then in February 1987, S. Epatha Merkerson took over the role of Holiday. Um, and then the revival opened on Broadway at the Circle and Square Theater on April 13, 2014. Um, the Circle and Square Theater is where, um, who's there right now? I don't know who's there right now, but the Fun, uh, fun Homes there uh, was there. And it's the theater in the round. And it's really cool seeing shows there, or like seeing videos of shows there. Um, it was directed by Lonnie Price with uh, Audrey McDonald as a holiday and Shelton Becton as Jimmy Powers. Um, and the show played there for uh, uh, 10 weeks, but it was extended several times. Um, and then they filmed production at the Cafe Brazil in New Orleans and broadcast it on HBO on March 12th, 2016. And then McDonald uh, reprised her role, the Wyndham Theater, and June 15th to September 3rd, or sorry, was expected to. Um, but then she got pregnant, so she they postponed it a year, and it was June 27th, 2017 to September 9th, 2017, at the Wyndham Theater in the UK. I think that was her um, West End debut. Mm. Yeah, and she was nom- nominated for Olivier, but she didn't win it, I think whatever probably people of class apparently not the not the london people <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah the show was done for two tonys and it won both tonys one for Andrea and one for uh best sound design of a play for steve canyon kennedy good for him yeah anything else you want to talk about I don't have any more notes Um, because even just what I got took like four hours yeah for sure there's a lot to cover with the show and like do it justice because there's such a long life like when you're doing when you're covering like a historical event like when you were covering um, 
uh, like France and World War II. I'm trying to think like the um, like for an American in Paris. Like mm-hmm. it's around a time period and it's around like a specific event and then you don't have to go too specific into, into certain people. When you go yeah. specific into a certain person, you have to like go deep and like do them justice. Yeah. And then especially since she's a singer and then like a musical artist and then you have like, oh, she did this song here. She did this song there. And I was like, mm-hmm. is this important to my overall? <laughs> how much of this her? is important? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, it's all important, but how much can we make concise into a podcast? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I wasn't, well, I kind of went in knowing nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then was kind of blown away by yeah. what they did fit into just like an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. And uh, I did not expect to be as profoundly and emotionally moved as I was. <laughs> I didn't think he'd be as pissed. <laughs> yeah, it was just. Or like uh, not not pissed, but like up, but like upset. <laughs> like sometimes you see shows, you end up yeah. leaving upset. <laughs> but like not like in a yeah. like the show with Bad Babe, but like the people in the show, like the characters were bad. <laughs> yeah, that was like uh, near the end of Cabaret. I got really annoyed. Oh yeah, because <laughs> I was like, why is no one helping this person? Why are everyone mm. making the terrible mis- decisions? Or like the last five years, like <laughs> at the end of like Jamie, uh, I can't look at you. I don't think I could ever watch that film because it has uh, Anna Kendrick in it. Do you not like Anna Kendrick? I was okay with her until there was this one person who was talking about their experience with her, oh, and that she was really rude. I always, honestly, I kind of usually assume that people are bad on set. <laughs> and honestly, it's all started, well, this kind of all started recently with Leah Michelle. I'm like, you know what? Maybe this is all kind of, you take, you take the curtain back and you know they're going to be a bad person. Yeah, like yeah. A, some Glee things, some Riverdale things. Yeah. Some... Yeah. <laughs> Hollywood's all mirage. But sometimes you get the cool, sometimes you get the cool people. Sometimes you see like the people that are actually still friends and like they're all good. Yeah. Um. Like I watched the Parks and Rec reunion from ten like there was a ten year reunion. Um. At Paley Fest, I think. Um. Or. I think it was Comic Con, but it was at the Paley Center. I'm not sure, but it was something like that. They had like the whole cast come back for like a, a panel, and it was so cool to see them all like friends and like talk about the show and yeah. Amy Poehler started crying and oh. I started crying I'm like Amy Poehler <laughs> don't do this to me did you watch the quarantine episode because I can't find it anywhere because uh... they did a quarantine reunion in like April I'm not sure how much I actually want to watch it because it's, it's just going to be quarantine special like how are you doing in quarantine I can't deal with that right now I didn't watch that one but I did watch the community uh quarantine episode where it was um it was funny because they instead of or no they did the episode where pierce was dead and so you didn't need chevy chase and i was like oh yeah. that's a bit pointed yeah uh, you never really need uh, chevy chase after what he's done yeah and then or not the, even what he's done he hasn't done anything specific but like he's just been like an awful person on set yeah like person in general and then uh uh they included pedro pascal um, as one of the characters because I don't think they either couldn't get a hold of one of the actors who was like the lawyer or whatever or I think he might have passed away mm. and so they asked Pedro Pascal to um, to kind of sub in and yeah. I think it was his first time reading the script because he get he gets to a certain point and he can't stop laughing like he can barely get the, <laughs> script, the lines out because yeah. he can't stop laughing and then everyone else just knows what's coming. So they're like kind of giggling as well. <laughs> and yeah. then he's like, this actually aired? What the heck, man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I really haven't watched any like quarantine specials because they're all like, like, oh, this cast of the show is like, they're back, but they're in 2020. I'm like, I just don't want to watch this. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like some other Michael Schur show did that. Um Although the one I do enjoy is the uh, Shit's Creek um, song they did, the hero of Mary Carey. 
Oh, shit's yeah. Creek. Oh, so good. Yeah. I think you should start watching New Girl. I think you'd like it. Yeah, I'm sure I would. I just, yeah, I just need to sit down with it. I have a lot of shows I need to watch. Honestly, the summer is just for watching TV shows. But it's probably the summer is for like going outside. But no, for me, it's watching TV. Yeah. <laughs> Having time to watching TV and read books for the book club. Yeah, for me, it's just like trying to find a job, feeling guilty for not having a job, feeling anxious mm. for the possibility of having a job, yeah. and then schoolwork on top of that. Yeah. Like as, as much as I like enjoy researching for this show, it takes a lot out of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of like having a job on its own. Yeah. A little bit. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. I'm still waiting to hear back from two jobs. Oh, which yeah. could possibly mean that I'm going to Victoria for the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have not let me know. Mm-hmm. I should live in Victoria after paying rent for their past year and a half. Uh, yeah. Well, Sorry. Well, well, not the whole year. I had a sublet. Yeah. But. Yeah. I get some use out of that right now. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you everybody for listening to episode number 19. <laughs> um, uh, you can find us on Instagram at History of the Spotlight. You can email us at History of the Spotlight at gmail.com. Email us on your, all your opinions. Do you like the show? Do you not like the show? Um, do you have any backstage memories? Do you have any funny things that happen on stage? Just any of those kind of things. You could come up and uh, email us at History of the Spotlight at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, HistoriaSP1. Okay, thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye.